This is the Ampland Games Podcast with Chris and Austin, the show where we talk about old school games, collecting, YouTube, and more. This is episode 53. Somebody has to talk about the Engage. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and with me as always, my co-host, Austin Mackert. How are you, Austin? Nah. Nah. Alert. Nah. Awake. Yeah. Alive. I, I, I'm here. I am here. <laughs> trolling people on the Atari Age forums. <laughs> trolling people? <laughs> Not trolling, just being realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to... Um, I don't know. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> I uh, we kind of talked about the Wii U a little bit. Um, you've been playing Pikmin three on the Wii U, correct? Yeah, yeah, on and off. Uh, the first couple weeks since launch, I was playing it on a regular basis. But uh, these last two weeks have been a little uh, busy for me, so uh, haven't gotten a whole lot of time to play it since then. But I, I've clocked about twelve hours into it so far, and it's it's a really fun game. I've never uh, played the Pikmin games, but I remember uh, watching people, I believe, play the first one on the GameCube, mm -hmm. and uh, it looks kind of interesting. It's kind of, what, a strategy game of sorts? <clears throat> uh, it's like a, a hybrid of action and strategy, and uh, I'd, I'd say that's probably what it's a good mixture of, because when you attack, it's action, and it's fun, it feels good. Uh, but when you're solving puzzles and things like that and trying to grab items on the playfield that are necessary for your character's survival in the story, um, it's that's very much like strategy. Uh, lots of puzzle elements and uh, multitasking, kind of like in a real t uh, RTS. Um, mm -hmm. Especially in Pikmin 3. I don't remember how the old ones work, because like you, I barely played them. But in Pikmin 3, you yeah. can have three separate groups or armies and I don't really like to call them armies, but three separate groups. Uh, you can basically split up your whole team into three groups, and you can actually multitask them. Send one group here, send one group there, you know, walk them across the map uh, automatically. It's uh, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, at some point in the future, I'll, I would like to visit that game, probably on the GameCube. Um, but I, I think uh, on Twitter and Facebook, uh, it seemed to be like one of the the first major releases in in quite a while for the for the Wii U. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you ever happen to say get a Wii U first, uh, you, Pikmin Three is a great starting point. Uh, they basically designed it to where you don't really. Uh, really needed. You didn't really need to have played the old ones to understand what's going on mm -hmm. in the new one, which is really cool. Uh, you've got a new set of characters. They sort of run into an old character from the old, the, the first two games. And uh, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, Pikmin Three seems to be a great starting point. I haven't had any issues, no confusion whatsoever, and uh, it's been great. And um, I saw an interview with Miyamoto, and he basically said that, you know, they were basically designing it to where you didn't have to have enjoyed the other two to enjoy this one, so. Yeah, not a whole, uh, I'm sure there's not uh, Obviously, a this one would be a, a good place, <laughs> a good starting port, too, because it's it's HD, you've got the touchpad support, which, you know, honestly, I can't even imagine, oh, yeah. I can't even imagine playing Pikmin now without the touchpad support, with being able to just, you can use the touchpad as a map, and you can basically uh, tell your character like okay here's you're on this side of the map here's the other side let's click there and i want you to walk there automatically and you do that and he just 
walks his way across the map for you. You don't have to do it. And then if you've got three teams split up, you can focus on working with your other team while the other guy you sent to the other side of the map is doing that on his own. So really cool stuff. And I don't even know if I'd, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine even playing the old ones now with that tool, you know, in my yeah. arsenal. But, um, I for- not, not to cut you off, but another alternative is actually the Wii versions. Uh, they made uh, Wii versions of the first two Pikmin games with uh, basically motion controls. And supposedly the motion controls are actually even better than the actual controller controls. Um, mm-hmm. So those would be great alternatives as well. Uh, especially the second one. The second one seems to be, I think, I think you can still get those brand new on, on Wii, 20 bucks. Uh, the first one, I think, is a little more sought after now, collectible, rare, something like that. So that might cost a little bit more. Yeah, I'm sure. The GameCube wasn't a huge seller, and the game's kind of obscure and quirky. It's not a Mario game, but yeah, it's something that's always kind of I've wanted to play. I yeah, just haven't it's gotten around to it. It's definitely a flagship title. Uh, I don't know if it's going to have the mass appeal, but I think when people play it, they'll, they'll yeah. be like, oh, this is actually really cool and really fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a cutesy game, like a lot of Nintendo games are, but at the same time, yeah. it's like, your Pikmin can die in lots yeah. of like different ways. And when it happens, you're like, oh no, no, don't die. Cause <laughs> like they'll get shocked to death or they'll drown and then uh-huh. they'll be like running around and gurgling and you, you hear them like floating beneath the water and then like a little angel flies up into the air and you're just like, like a little teardrop. You're like, why did I yeah, do exactly. this? I will not throw Pikmin into the water ever again. Um, and then uh, in Pikmin 3 especially, you, you it's got a day and night cycle, and you have to be done with your mission by nightfall. And any Pikmin that are left stray in the field that you don't have in your army following you, they'll basically get, get eaten up by enemies as well. So it's like, it's kind of, I don't know what the term is for it, but... Uh, it's interesting. A lot of management. It, it, well, well, it's um, no, just in terms of how like the Pikmin die. It's like this cutesy game, but you got these creatures that are actually like dying, and it's not like pretty sometimes. You know, <laughs> you're just like, uh. So really, really great game. Um, don't let the the cutesy look fool you. It's definitely got uh, some cool stuff to it. So right on. But, uh, yeah, I actually wasn't even expecting you to ask me about the Wii U or even talk about the Wii U. Cause, uh, <laughs> I know you probably got this whole agenda of, of yep. stuff to talk about. I don't even and, bother sharing it with you anymore because you won't look at it. I'm just uh, looking at my audio track recording <laughs> as we record this. Uh, you know, I actually had an agenda last week uh, or three weeks ago, technically, our last episode. And I just, yeah. I just, bleh. I don't know. Whenever I have something like written in front of me in a list, I have a hard time like bouncing from one to the next. Like, how do I segue mm-hmm. this? <laughs> Is this a good point to talk about Thunder Force or something like that or, yeah, or yeah. whatever? Ah, um, that's what I'm here for. So we were going to record. Uh, I guess we weren't going to record last week. You had a yeah. you had a fun uh, weekend. No, we were going to record, and then I bailed on you. Um, seems to be the trend wow. lately uh, <laughs> but i was like you know what it, it we were three weeks between episodes last time we can be three weeks between episodes again it's not like we're a month between episodes it doesn't feel as long uh and it gives me some time to actually enjoy my saturdays um so yeah no actually i had a friend uh who was kind of in need of help he went to go pick up a brand new acdc pinball machine uh, from a guy up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is about an hour and a half away from me. So, um, 
you know, I obliged to help him out because I, I know what it's like being in his situation. Like, when I got my Rolling Stones, I wasn't sure if I'd have anybody to actually help me carry it up my stairs. Because it's a, you know, it's a 250 pound machine. Yeah. Um, whereas my Bally 8 ball wasn't as bad because the head comes off and there's barely anything inside the cabinet. So, you know, that I wasn't too worried about. But, uh, yeah, the Rolling Stones, man. So, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll help you out. We'll go get it. And that'll give me an excuse to play some ACDC, uh, which I did afterwards. So, um, but yeah, so that's what I did. I didn't, I don't remember doing anything else too interesting that night though. Um, well, you had a, uh, you had something actually I thought was very interesting going on, I believe, Sunday at, uh, your local store, East Starland. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, East Starland, you know, we've talked about it a couple times, I think. <laughs> that's right. I only posted like 20 <laughs> pictures of it. <laughs> well, that was Sunday though. Saturday night. Um, yeah. actually, Saturday night, I had a friend come by uh, unexpectedly afterwards and we ended up just hanging out, playing games and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, Sunday, East Starland, we talked about it before, they do their thing called the Gamers Exchange, where they basically open up the back room of their store to basically people like you and I bringing in video game stuff to sell to people like you and I. So um, that's what they did. And what they typically do at this event is they also have a, an area of that room dedicated for video games and systems hooked up and something like that. Uh, sometimes a local fighting game community will come in and set up and they'll just play competitively all day. Other times they'll set up retro systems. And that's basically what they did on Sunday. Uh, however, Chris, the owner of East Starland, he actually asked me if, uh, I would bring in some of uh, my systems and we would do a quote unquote like, uh, rare and classic showcase or something. Uh, and yeah. I had actually talked to him previously a, a few weeks prior. I, I approached him. I said, hey, what would it take to maybe start some kind of like little mini convention in the back room for like a weekend or something? You know, I've got 20 mm -hmm. some odd systems. Bring them all in and set them all up, you know, and display the rare games and things like that or just classic games. And so he approached me to set up a few of my systems there. So um, we agreed to bring in eight consoles and um, I set them up for... Uh, Sunday. And um, I had uh, some popular stuff. I had the Super Nintendo and the NES, and uh, but I had a lot of uh, more obscure stuff. Uh, maybe not quite obscure to us, but definitely obscure to your average gamer that would uh, visit this store. Uh, like I had the Sega CD uh, with Android Assault and Lords of Thunder playing. I had the Neo Geo CD with uh, Arrow Fighters 2 playing. I had the Super Graphics with Ghouls and Ghosts. And uh, I had the Dreamcast with Gunlord, and then I had the 7800 with Princess Rescue, which I'm ashamed to say didn't get a whole lot of play. I don't think people really understood. I don't think people understood what they were looking at when they saw it. Uh, of course, so of course, with the cart being in the 7800, some people, you know, the uninitiated, uh, they might have been like, "Well, this is a 7800. Why aren't the graphics better?" <laughs> Not realizing it's a 2600 game. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, uh, lastly, I believe lastly, I brought the Pippin with uh, the Tropic Island pinball game. So, um, yeah, um, I had the I had this running for about five hours that day. That's about how long the event lasts. And um, you know, it was it was cool being able to. Uh, show off my systems and let people play my systems. I had the boxes displayed on top of every television yeah. you could see. And, um, 
it was cool. Uh, you could s- definitely tell people were mostly interested in the Super Nintendo and NES, but you did have people sitting down and spending time with Ghouls and Ghosts on the Super Graphics and uh, yeah. Error Fighters on the Neo CD. Uh, I wonder, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of crowd that draws or whatever, but I wonder like, how many people are, you know, not really retro game collectors that kind of show up to, to check out, you know, what they used to play as a kid versus how many people come in, you know, and are hardcore retro gamers and are, you know, interested in seeing the obscure stuff. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, despite it technically being a retro game quote-unquote showcase it people don't go to this event to play the games they go to the event to buy stuff and hopefully get a good deal (laughs) which very rarely happens because all the sellers are it's ebay prices it's ebay high prices are higher they're not knowledgeable that's just it's price gouging i i feel uh you know these guys probably spent very little on the games they're resellers and it's yeah. frustrating because the first gamers exchange was actually awesome. There was tons of deals. Like this guy came in, he was just unloading. It was just guys unloading their collection. They weren't trying to make, uh, make a thousand a percent profit. You know, something like yeah. that. Like more like a swap meet. It was like a swap meet, and you know, um, you know, Starland does charge fifteen uh, percent on each sale, so it's kind of like posting oh, on eBay. Yeah, but what happens okay. is. Uh, how this works is the sellers actually give the buyer a ticket. The buyer doesn't actually give the seller money. East Starland okay. actually uses, I believe, Amazon payments for uh, all of the sales. Um, so it's all tracked. It's and all tracked done and done correctly. And at the end of the event, Starland pays out each seller with an actual business check. You know, so it's okay. not just free cash floating around or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And so they get something out of it too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but Starland, they, they also, um, well, yeah. I mean, so uh, let me go back a step. Basically, the sellers, you know, they, there's a 15% <laughs> fee. And uh, what I've noticed is a lot of these sellers use that as a kind of a scapegoat to charge more. Like, oh, I get charged so they, 15%. Oh, I added 15%. And it's just like, well, you're also not having to deal with shipping. You're not have to, having to buy packing materials. You don't have to find the customer. You don't have to find <laughs> the customer. Exactly. You. And it just, it's, it ticks me off. Uh, there's this, this one guy that just, and this is something I read about on forums too, but I was just nonchalantly just looking at this guy's items and he was talking to a customer and the guy was, the customer was like, well, hey, how much for these cartridges? And he was like, and, and the seller was like, oh, well, I, I, I don't know. I haven't researched them yet. I had to look them up on eBay, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Douchebag. So they look like, up every just, single game before the some sale. Some of these guys do. Some of them just have flat prices they won't negotiate. Others have flat prices that are crazy like this one guy wanted $20 a pop for boxed in television games like super common stuff like auto racing and night stalker and things like that those are like $2 games even complete you yeah. know it, these people are uh, it, it just bugs me it's just such a waste of time but again I got to set my systems up and that was really cool um, you know, but again, like I said, people don't come to this event to play the the systems. They usually come for the games, and uh, you know, the system setup or kind of an afterthought. Um, yeah. But I, there was actually a bunch of younger people there, probably uh, late teens to early twenties, which actually sat down. They were playing like the Super Nintendo, and uh, a couple of them tried the Sega CD, and uh, 
Remember, uh, there was this, you can actually see the photo on my Facebook page. There was a pair of guys that actually sat down and played Princess Rescue for a while. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and you had a couple of guys that were really into, uh, Aero Fighters. Um, I had actually one joystick <laughs> hooked up and then one controller hooked up because I don't have two of, of either. So yeah. that was cool to see someone like actually using the joystick that I bought. Um, yeah, it was, it was neat. And, um, you know, I actually sat down and I played a lot of games myself because I wanted to, well, make sure people don't steal my games. <laughs> no one walks <laughs> yeah, out. That's a yeah, no one walks out with my Pippin or something like that. Uh, hey, I'll take this Neo Geo CD controller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I remember playing Gunlord and I had multiple people like tap me on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, what game is this?" Like, because it they they've never seen it before, never heard of it, and uh, it looks really good. It's Gunlord, you know. It's mm-hmm. nice two D graphics and. Uh, great soundtrack and all that good stuff. So, uh, there's probably a few people that went home that night and looked up Gunlord and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. The only, uh, I, we don't have anything like that here. That'd be so cool. Like if, uh, you know, the local shop that I'm always talking about did, you know, like a once a month, you know, Sunday thing and kind of showcase some of the, you know, some things to kind of get people excited about it. Yeah, well, you know that the Gamers Exchange, it actually gets a really good turnout. Like, you can see in one of the pictures, it was very... Yeah, I'm looking through them. It's packed. Yeah, and that was actually not even as packed as it got. Now, granted, usually a few hours in, it empties out. Um, yeah. But uh, they always have a lot of people waiting to get in, like, right as they open. That's when you, that's where you're obviously going to find the best deals. Uh, well, maybe yeah, not necessarily right the best deals, but you're gonna find you're gonna have the biggest selection of items at your, you know, your fingertips. Like because I was there setting up, I got basically first dibs on everything, you know. So I was the yeah. first guy to catch that Smash Pack Dreamcast box, which I posted mm-hmm. on my gameplay and talk Facebook page. Uh, thirty five bucks for the box. Um, with the outer insert, with the outer uh, slip cover, all the inserts in the inside, like. Uh, the instruction manual, the actual tray for the console, which is usually what's missing, um, and the phone cable and the web browser disc. Uh, great, I mean, great deal on that. I mean, $35 seems like a lot for just the box, but these Smash Pack limited edition bundles, they're, you know, it's, it's hard to find them in really good condition. And the ones I've seen on places like eBay are like over a hundred bucks. So, you know. Buy a twenty dollar Dreamcast to fill that thirty five dollar box, and I, I'm good. So that was a that was a nice Very find. Nice. Um, so, but that was because I got I basically saw it right away. I was like basically the first person in. I was already in the room when they, you know, started letting people in. So, um, you know, there's definitely a benefit to getting there early. So, yeah, not a bad way to spend a Sunday afternoon. No, not not too bad. And honestly, to be towards the end of it, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't really feel like being here anymore. <laughs> Let me box up my stuff. And yeah, go. no. Uh, I mean, I wasn't getting paid or anything like that. I wasn't. There wasn't really yeah. any uh, benefit to me being there other than just being able to see people playing my systems. You know, and kind of being able yeah, to say, hey, enjoying hey, them. this is kind of like my area here. This is kind of like my thing. You know, <laughs> this is the Austin show. Um, yeah, I mean, they they mentioned my name a lot. They're like, thanks again, Austin Maggot, for bringing all these systems out. So you know, there's that. It's nice when it happens, but uh, you know, again, there was no financial incentive or anything like that. I just brought my systems in. Um, if he asks me to do it again, I think what we're going to do is actually do more traditional classic systems with popular games like 
the Genesis and yeah. Sonic 2 and, you know, the NES and Super Nintendo, of course. Uh, I had Donkey Kong Country running on the Super Nintendo and it got the most playtime out of anything there. Uh, it was actually wow. pretty much taken <laughs> up most of the time. Like, people obviously love that game. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I would do that. I'd bring an N64 and put in, like, Star Fox or something and, um, yeah. probably do, like, an original Xbox and put Halo on it. You know, things like that. Yeah. So. Uh, to get a lot of things yeah. that uh, you and me don't really care about. Well, we care about. Uh, like Donkey Kong <laughs> yeah, Country is one of my favorite Super Nintendo games. There's nothing wrong with popular because yeah. a lot of those popular games are still amazing. You know, you know they're, they're popular though, for you know, a reason. Play... You know, well, I can't. Well, really, I don't know if that still works today with games like Call of Duty and whatnot. But <laughs> I know back in the day, well, popular you, was usually a sign of like really high quality, like the Mario series, the yeah. Sonic series. Until Sonic took a crap and went downhill. Um, you know. You know, I get to play through Sonic 2 three or four times a year, so seeing that set up on a table doesn't excite no, me. No, it's, like it's not going to excite you. But, yeah, I mean, see, I was aiming for people like you or people yeah. that were interested in the history of games to uh, be excited about these. But, you know, the fact, of the, yeah. ma- the fact of the matter is not a lot of people are excited about... Um, the history and the obscurities like we are you know mm-hmm. like if i went to a gaming convention i saw an fm towns marty set up i'd be like oh man i'm i'm, I'm oh, playing this, this. Awesome. yeah <laughs> i am playing this especially if like writing was on it or something like that or the splatterhouse yeah. um but you know other people would be like uh is that the uh, wonder mega or is that the sega cd thing <laughs> like they they would they would walk on they wouldn't care you know even if they, you know, drew that connection. But so, you know, it's just having people playing the games, I think, is the most important part, um, you know, and just enjoying themselves when they come in. And as long as they're playing the retro games, whether it's obscure or not, I think that's the most important thing. Just, you know, that kind of keeps that retro flame alive and, yeah. and gets people into it. It's, you know, and, you know, it's a starting, it, it's point. A starting point. It's not the re- like the rare obscure games that usually get people interested in the hobby to begin with. It's like rekindling yeah. that not even nostalgia Childhood. because you have younger people just playing the games for the first time. Be like, this is actually really fun. It's like when they realize it's really fun, they want to look into it further. Like I had tmnt2 running on the nes for half a day and i saw like young kids playing it that definitely never played this game back in the day i know for sure they were way too young and they were digging it it was like you know that was a really popular game as well um still a great game on the nes so yeah very interesting so how often are they going to do that? Once a month well, or just the, a couple times a year? The Gamers Exchange is once a month, but uh, okay. whether they have people like me bring systems in every month is to be seen. Um, again, yeah. like I said, they I think they try to mix it up. Sometimes they'll have uh, a local fighting game community come in and set up. So um, there's oh, yeah. di- different right. themes and things like that. Uh, I remember the very first Gamers Exchange, they had the fighting game community come in. And that was actually the one where I was actually uh, selling uh, stuff. So, Austin the vendor. Yeah, I didn't actually sell too much. Uh, I sold some systems, uh, like my sort of iffy Sega Saturn, and uh, um, well, you didn't have enough uh, copies of Donkey Kong Country Two on hand. So. No, no, I, all my stuff was mostly obscure. It was Saturn imports, uh, rare, rare 3DO <laughs> imports, 
Uh, which I'm actually kind of glad didn't sell now because, you know, I, I don't really want to sell those, like, the, the warp developed titles. Uh, but I was kind of hurting for money when they did the first Gamers Exchange, and I was, I yeah. was still in that downsize phase. Um, so, yeah, I was still trying to just get rid of stuff at that point. But that was, like, back in February or something like that, so that was a while ago. <laughs> well, moving on, uh, this is the... Second podcast in a row where I've actually put up a YouTube review. Yeah, I, I, so I saw you put that, that up uh, yesterday or the day before, and uh, you know, to be honest, I haven't uh, looked at it yet, so I apologize for that. <sighs> Super Mario yeah, Land, I right? Give you <laughs> Super Mario Land. Yeah, it's game. Uh, I think I had it as a kid, Austin, um, but I never really liked it. The controls just felt too off, and the, I always had other things need to more occupy practice. my time. Well, I've beaten it a few times now, and uh, I think I've I beat it once and recorded it. I've talked about it before, and then the footage kind of crapped out at the end, and the whole file never really saved. So I had to play through it again, and uh, so I, I feel like I have a pretty strong knowledge of the game, and I'm not missing anything, but uh, the controls for me... Um, are just a little too off to make it like a classic yeah. Mario it's game. Not even, to it's me, not, it's, I don't even think it's so much that they're off. It's that Mario is so quick. Like, if you tap right, even if you don't have run held down, mm-hmm. he bolts like five feet. He, uh, yeah. it's, it's, he drops yeah. like the falling. Like, if you walk off a ledge, I mean, he's at the ground instantly. There's no, I don't know, floaty, floatiness to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's all just it, it's very sudden like, and uh, sharp. Uh, they reminded me of the first Castlevania in that regard, where if you walk off an edge and it's thunk straight down like 90 degrees. Yeah. 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 So I found it just to be, I mean, it's a good platformer. It's just not a great Mario game. Yeah. And, you know, because it's not a great Mario game, I really just don't have any, um, emotional investment in the title at all see i've i've always enjoyed mario land um mostly because to me it felt like uh kind of a throwback to the original super mario brothers which i was obviously still very fond of and i still am today um yeah even though it's it it doesn't have like those big cartoony graphics like mario 2 3 or mario land 2 um, it, it it does feel a little bit like the classic Mario, although it's like the how the physics work in the game makes it feel different, though, at the same time. And uh, I don't mind the different feel, though. I like how it's very quick, and I like how they, you still have blocks, and you still have, like, the power... You have the power star, and the fire flower is actually awesome in this one, because uh, it ricochets off walls. I've always liked that. It's very useful. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the feedback I got in the comments. Some people were kind of like, yeah, I don't really, you know, care for it much either because the controls are weird. And then there was like the other half of the people that are like, you know, I like that this game is different. That is one of the things that appeals to me yeah. about this game. So I found that very interesting as well. A, a different perspective yeah. I hadn't thought of. Where people are like, I don't want the same, you know, 90s Mario game yeah. that I've played and seven you know, times. I just want about, this is just different. about everything about the game is different, aside from being able to go down the pipes and hit the blocks with your head. <laughs> you're yeah. in, like, this Egyptian theme. At the end of each stage, you've got, like, this tower you have to try to, uh, you know... Uh, go up on to get to like the bonus stage ladder section and uh you got the shooting sections which are always a blast mm-hmm. they're always a lot of fun to play um yeah and uh a creative use of bonus stages getting to some of the hidden bonus stages uh with those little platforms you can hop on they'll basically push you above the screen and you'll go to a bonus stage 
uh, yeah. really cool stuff. So it's yeah, it's it's just the the controls are so touchy. Uh, Some of the collision is off enough, and I don't really bring it up in the video, but I I show off a lot of just like bizarre. Deaths yeah, no, I think there's definitely where, a like, little you jump yeah. through a platform, or you jump on a on a turtle, and you. In, because you didn't hit the shell, like you hit the pixel of the head, you take a hit. Just yeah. really wonky stuff like that. You have to be really like super precise. It's what it is. Uh, but yeah, you know what? I think we met. I talked about this on a far previous episode, and I used to have a Nokia Engage. Well, I still do have a QD, but on my very first Nokia Engage um, back in 2003 or so, I discovered you could load up uh, emulators onto it, just like Java-based emulators for the Symbian operating system, which was compatible on the Engage. And um, I got a Game Boy emulator, and the emulator actually didn't run at full speed. It probably ran at about, I'd say, 75% speed, maybe a tiny bit slower. And so I would play Super Mario Land on this thing, and it was like playing a normal game. Like Mario had been slowed down about seventy. Like he had been slowed down about twenty five percent, and it and it, it felt, felt like a normal game. It's like Mario <laughs> yeah, wasn't awesome. on crack as he was running around, and it was much more manageable to beat the game. I beat that. I beat it like probably like twenty times on that emulator. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Huh. So if you're having a hard time, see if you can slow it down in an emulator if it's possible. If you're having a hard time, <laughs> buy a Nokia Engage. There's that too. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Reason number two to buy an Engage. Oh, uh, Engage has some good games. I almost had a full Engage collection at one point. Um, so no, I could definitely vouch that uh, Engage has got some quality games, but. Uh, that's a different topic for a different day. We've probably we've probably touched <laughs> up on it before, but I don't remember at this point. Yeah, well, someone's got to talk about the engage. I I would actually do engage videos if there was emulation for engage, uh, or a way to hack the engage to sort of record into your television or something like that, or um, record into your capture box. But you know, that's the kind of kind of the shame about it is if you want to see engage footage, you got to see people shooting a camcorder at the screen. And I tried that a long time ago, and let me tell you, that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. work at all. Mark uh, from Classic Game Room, they do all their Game Boy and 3D. Well, not all their Game Boy, half their Game Boy footage. They'll have uh, a camera pointing at yeah. a um, the, the Game Boy Advance SP and all their DS For games. For him, they do it, with it the, works. Because he's got a really high quality camera, like he's probably has a two thousand dollar camera, you know. Yeah. Me with my hundred and fifty dollar camcorder, <laughs> it just it doesn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is which sucks because I would really love to cover Engage stuff because I'm I'm educated about it. I was there when I was there on launch and I was there until they discontinued it and I used it uh, not just as a phone but I used it very very heavily as a gaming device. Um, and I actually pre-ordered Engage games, like people pre-order normal games today. So I was there for a lot of the releases on day one. I was there for a lot of the disappointment. There's a lot of disappointment on the system, trust me. But there were a lot of great, you know, games that came out in the system uh, that... Kind of funny, you know, it came out and nobody cared. And then a decade later, you know, Android and iOS yeah. and playing games on phone is more popular than using the, the you know, PS Vita I don't, or the I don't DS. think it's uh, really that nobody cared. I think it's uh, Nokia made some really bad mistakes. And by the time they rebounded and made it more appealing, it was too late. Uh, for instance, yeah. the thing was $300 when it first came out, which was... 
I mean, a the Game Boy Advance, uh, I guess the SP was out by then, was it? Or was that 2004? I don't remember. Whatever Game Boy Advance model was out was only like 100 bucks, maybe 150 maybe 120 if the SP was out, whatever that was when it came out. Uh, so the N-Gage was over twice as much. Uh, the PSP and DS eventually came out shortly after. The N-Gage was still more expensive than either one. Um, and... Uh, the first N-Gage, it was a nice system, it was good to play, but if you wanted to change your game, you had to take the back cover off, take your battery off, which effectively shut down your whole phone. It was a pain. Like, what if you wanted to change your game while you're in the backseat of someone's car or something like that? Uh, it's, yeah, you're probably not going to want to, uh, even try. So, it, uh, had that, uh, side talking thing where the the speaker uh, was taco yeah, mode. it had the speaker on the top of the unit when it should have been on the side um so you had to literally hold it up and it looked like a taco uh, that's why they call it the taco <laughs> phone uh it was things like that Everybody. Uh, you know the shame <laughs> is is that uh even some of the launch games were pretty good though like sonic n which is a port of mm-hmm. sonic advance from game boy a Game Boy Advance was actually really good. And then you had Super Monkey Ball, which was pretty good. And then you had, like a week later, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came out, which was almost identical to the PlayStation version, which was, in 2003, was really impressive. Having yeah. that uh, level of quality of visuals in your hand, 3D-wise, it was really cool stuff. Um, but, you know, I think people would have bought into it if it was, say, $200, and it had a better design. But I think Nokia... Uh, they made some really bad mistakes uh, as far as its launch was concerned. Uh, the system was advertised. You saw televisions on TVs. So it's not like they didn't market it or advertise it or something like that. Uh, and it was sold at your game stores. But high, yeah, high I price, had one bad friend design. that had an N-Gage, and he really, really liked yeah. it. You know, But it was like right around the time where I think like my first three cell phones were really crappy, cheap flip phones and uh you know it wasn't till a couple years later probably 2007 when it started to become the social norm to drop two or three hundred dollars on a cell phone you know instead of 60 or 70 or or free you know with two-year contract so i think it was all just a little ahead of its time and then you know combined with not flawless execution it just never got there yeah i mean i i just i feel that uh it was just mostly flawed, flawed execution because, uh, you know, the DS and the PSP came out and people were paying $200 for the handheld systems basically yeah. within a year of the N-Gage launch. So it's, I don't, because the N-Gage, you could use it as a dedicated handheld. It didn't have to be connected to a cell phone network. Um, but Nokia treated it as, as opposed to treating it like a video game handheld and selling it as such. They, they treated it as a cell phone, which meant a yeah. high price, um, People thought, okay, yeah. I have to pay a data package or or all of that, get a contract to play the game. Yeah, but that that added to the confusion as well, most certainly. Uh, especially when you could when you first bought them at places like Electronics Boutique, they would actually sort of get you uh, set up. They, I think, some of them could actually get you set up with the contract. You know, if you wanted to sign up for T-Mobile or Singular, yeah. Um, which, depending on which model you you, you picked up. Uh, so it, it's kind of sad because it, it it eventually has some really great games and um, what should have happened is the second model the QD uh, is a far superior model to the first one with the you know give or take a couple of things um, 
has a slightly larger screen. It's a brighter screen, uh, more comfortable design, more rugged. So if you drop it, it's not going to shatter into two pieces. Um, and it's got an actual card slot. And uh, yeah. So Austin, speaking of uh, pointing a camera at a screen and recording, uh, you put up a long play, which I guess is kind of a short play of Double Dragon for the arcade. Yeah, yeah. That was about two weeks ago, I think, right? I don't remember. Within the last three yeah. weeks, <laughs> it was before we last recorded. Yeah, that was actually a, like, that was a very uh, much of an impulse sort of video. But uh, I, I knew I could run through Double Dragon pretty much without continuing, and uh, I also kind of wanted to see how recording my arcade monitor would be. And so, thus that long play was born. And uh, yeah, that was actually kind of fun to do, and then talk about afterwards because uh, I have a lot mm-hmm. of memories of the first arcade Double Dragon from. You know, from back when I had my first arcade machine. So, uh, what well, was was what was think? the footage all right to you? I know it wasn't. Uh, yeah, it was about the best I could do in the situation. So, uh, you know, I've wanted to buy a camcorder for a long time, but it's kind of like my camera. You know, my that I use for taking photos. You know, it's a cheaper camera, but I have full manual controls, which is very important to me. You know, to be able to take you know the picture that I want to take. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you had a camcorder where you had those manual controls, you probably could do an okay job, you know, recording television footage, you know, like we talked about Mark and classic game room. But when you have the camera constantly trying to autofocus and constantly trying to figure out the brightness, you know, there's not really much you can do. You're kind of at the mercy of whatever that, you know, autofocus, well, no, auto whatever these, in your camera's, cameras trying to do. These cameras do have ways to turn that off, which actually a lot of YouTubers don't seem to utilize. And uh, <laughs> uh, in my video especially, and, and basically any video I use with a camcorder, you won't notice it kind of zooming in real quick and then zooming out just very mm-hmm. slightly. That's when it's trying to autofocus. I, ha- I always make sure I have that turned off. Um because yeah. it's when I record my first, uh, actually, I think I, I first used that camcorder with like a tag video or something. And when I did it and I saw it, it kept kind of adjusting itself. I was like, Oh man, this is going to make me sick. I have to, <laughs> I have to figure out how to turn that off. And yeah. I read the manual and lo and behold, there was a switch. Um, now you can also go into manual focus mode on my camera, uh, my camcorder. Okay. And so you can, I don't know. I usually leave it at the stock setting because that's it looks it looks best that way. Um, it, yeah. It's hard to tell the quality, to be honest with you, because I'm looking at the screen of the camera and not through like the lens hole. Because yeah. you know the, the screen, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure the quality of the video is good. So that's because that's what I'm recording. So um, yeah, it's I don't know. You get what you pay for. I paid about 150 yeah. for my current camcorder. It's. Uh, it was a little, it was a step up above the, the last one I had I started with when I was making YouTube videos. I mean, this one actually does 1080, uh, 1080p. And, uh, you know, it, the, the sharpness isn't nearly as sharp as I would like it, but, you know, the colors pop out a little bit better than my last camera. And, um, yeah, uh, it works for like face to face videos, you know, the, the occasional pickup or something like that. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's fine. You know, obviously it's not, uh, you know, it is what it is, and there's only so much you can do. Uh, I found it interesting, though, you know, that you have a Killer Instinct cabinet, you know, and you can swap out the, the PCB boards, which I find rather fascinating, and hopefully, you know, I think you have that the Saturn VC something or other. Yeah, the STV. 
best TV. <laughs> it stands, and, you know, it I'm stands looking forward for, to seeing some ooh, of those as well. It stands for Sega Titan Video Game System. Uh, so it's ST Sega Titan Dash Video Game System. Yeah. Uh, that's what it stood for. So. so I'm really looking forward to, you know, seeing some of that too. You know, I don't think a lot of people, I certainly didn't growing up, realize that, you know, you could do that. I had just no yeah, well, idea. Yeah, well, no, there was a standard that was concocted in the 80s called... Um, JAMA, and it stands for something like Japanese Amusement Machine, blah, 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 something along those lines. And basically what it is, I've explained this on a previous episode as well, is um, I don't even know how to explain it properly, but essentially everything that makes up a cabinet is uh, like, you know, the the monitor wiring, the power uh, wiring, the joystick controls, blah, blah, blah. They're all wired into this universal harness which will just plug into a JAMA-compatible PCB. And that basically yeah. allows the cabinet, a, a plug-and-play aspect of the cabinet. So say an operator you know, on a location has a bunch of JAMA cabinets. Instead of buying brand-new cabinets every year, a new game comes out, he can just buy the JAMA board, pop it in, super easy. It takes like five minutes to do it. And then he could just replace the marquee, uh, maybe put like a, you know, replace the side art if you wanted to, or put like a different poster on the side of the cabinet. And then he's got a brand new game. He doesn't have to go out and buy a new cabinet. He doesn't have to move anything. And that's what JAMA was for. And ever since then, the majority of arcade games have been JAMA. There's, there's been actually a few, well, several lots actually that haven't run by the JAMA standard, <laughs> but there are usually those yeah. games, very specialized hardware that racing games that are in huge cabinets, things like that. You're not going to really want to put yeah. into um, a standard like fighting game cabinet or something like that. But most of the shoot 'em ups, the beat 'em ups, uh, your fighting games, your platformers, your puzzle games, all run on the JAMA standard. Um, the Neo Geo MVS board is JAMA, so I can... I was just going to ask get that. A, that, yep. that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I actually had an MVS board way back in the day, and I had it in my old arcade machine. Uh, so I do eventually intend on getting another MVS board, because I would love to play some uh, Polestar and Blazing Star in the cabinet, uh, as well as, you know, the Metal Slugs, how they were meant to be played, uh, things like yeah. that. Error Fighters would be nice. So, yeah... Um, to anybody out there that that has the room and has considered this, uh, you know, look look on your local Craigslist for uh, a JAMA cabinet. Um, you know, most of your popular games will have been JAMA, like your Street Fighters, your, uh, you know, your TMNTs, your beat 'em ups, things like that. They're all pretty much in JAMA cabinets. Your Mortal Kombat, uh, although Mortal Kombat is a little bit different. I don't know if I'd buy one of those because of the weird button layout. Um, Great for Mortal Kombat, but not great for Street Fighter or even just to shoot 'em up or something like that. So, uh, if you're you know interested in buying a cabinet, um, you know get something like a Street Fighter or get something like a, a good three button game, um, and yeah, just swap the boards out. It's uh, not too bad. I noticed when I went to the first year I went to the Midwest Gaming Classic, there were, you know, hundreds yeah. of vendors selling hundreds of different PCBs. And that's what kind of clued me in that, huh, there's something more to this than I originally knew. Really? So that's pretty huh, cool. Interesting. See, PCBs online have just, I don't know, ever since eBay became like one of the only places to buy stuff online, video game wise. Um, and, you know, with the dwindling of the arcade industry, it's like, you know, boards have kind of dried up a little bit. And even games like Double Dragon, which used to be like a $20 board, 
is you know there people are trying to sell it for like 80 bucks plus online um which kind of sucks because it was a super popular game it's very common but um fortunately i got mine for 50 shipped which i don't feel too bad about especially when shipping was combined that was 15 dollars saved right there but i'd like to check out one of these conventions that actually have pcbs because i have a feeling you might be able to get them a lot cheaper you probably have less people trying to like price gouge you on these boards you know yeah so yeah it'd be fun uh if you could ever get out to milwaukee or me get out to an east coast event at some point (laughs) fest but we talk a lot about um on this show collecting you know because both of us go through spurts of, of buying selling you know trimming down the collection uh, versus hoarding, you know, which we've kind of talked about in the past as well. And uh, you, uh, I think it was either Facebook or on your gameplay and talk Facebook page, um, talked about repairing the 32X. Yeah. Um, at some point in the past, I had, this was like 10 years ago, um, I had a 32X that didn't work. And, you know, during one of my, you know, getting rid of uh, everything that was kind of broken or didn't work, and then just selling off, you know, everything I didn't have any emotional attachment to or you know, wasn't going to play in the next five years. You know, at one point I had like seven master system controllers and just stuff like that. I ended up throwing it away. Then I think months later I realized that the 32X has a really common issue and it's very easy to fix. Usually you just open it up and there's a, a ribbon cable inside that's not seated correctly. Well, uh, easy to fix. Something is, like It's that. easy to fix once you get to it, but getting the 32X <laughs> apart is a different story altogether. Uh, you'd be surprised okay. at how many different like layers there are to that machine. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and the ribbon, the ribbon cable's at the very bottom, so you've got to crack the whole thing open, take it apart. and um, Yeah, I noticed that one ribbon cable was like, <laughs> I don't know, three millimeters up higher than the one next to it, and... Uh, I was like, you know, this looks fine. It's probably making a connection, but I, I popped it out anyway, and I, I put it back in, and lo and behold, I pushed it down just three millimeters farther than it was before, so uh, apparently that probably did the trick. Um, yeah. Uh, such a finicky system, but, uh, you know, I didn't know of its unreliability in, until mine died, you know, or stopped working, and technically not died, because I got it working, but... Uh, yeah, I was never aware that they had problems like that until just recently. That makes me wonder how many, you know, people like me just threw them away without realizing it instead of, you know, saving the system. Yeah, yeah. That's really the reason I bring it up, you know, a PSA. We've done our good deed for the well, day. Well, um, we should actually sort of bow in silence for a few moments because I did throw out my T- You've done it too? My, my TI-99 uh, just last week. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think there's anything you could do to save it, was there? Well, um, the problem was overheating, and it would glitch up the graphics, and, um, so I decided, hey, I've got some heat sinks, let's try those out and plug them on the chips and see if it fixes it, right? Well, I tried to open the thing, and (laughs) they made this system to where they don't want people getting into it. It's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I I, I couldn't very... get the system apart. I, like, I got the case off. Really? Yeah, I couldn't get the motherboard okay. out. I couldn't get... It was all just like... I should have taken a picture of it to, to post it online. <laughs> but, like, one of... Like, I don't know. Say you've got the system flipped upside down. You got the back cover off. And you've got your main board, which you need to get out. Right? Um, there's all these, like, metal pieces that are screwed together. 
And there's this one piece where it's actually screwed down, and you're thinking, okay, I can just unscrew it, right? Well, no, there's a bolt on the other side of the screw. But there's nowhere to get like a wrench to to get this bolt off that screw, to pull the screw out. So the board was like, I had no way to get the main board out. And I couldn't figure out a way to get the top cover of the machine off. There was just, I think it was mounted in with screws on uh, the underside. And um, I ended up bending like the metal plate that covers the front of the system, thinking that I could take that off. Maybe it would reveal some screws, and it didn't. And at that point, I was just like, I give up. These things are like 20 bucks. I, I, yeah, I've completely destroyed, <laughs> I destroyed the shielding on the top of the system. I don't want a system that's got all these dents and stuff in it. And I was just like, this is kind of sad. I chucked it. I kept the box though. I kept the AC adapter and the AV cable because, you know, they have a use. And, um, but that was kind of disappointing. Uh, it was actually the same night I fixed my 32X. And, you know, because of my pinball machine, I've been in kind of like fixer-up mode lately and just like, yeah. I'll come home from work. Feeling more comfortable. Yeah, I'll come home from work and just work on the pinball machine. And I'm not really comfortable. It's just, I guess there's the motivation to just crack things open and just look inside of them because I don't really have any mm-hmm. soldering skills or anything like that. I've barely ever soldered anything in my life. So it's not like I'm doing anything involved, but, you know, just unscrewing them, taking them apart, putting them back together reseating the cables like on a 32x um like with the ti i was gonna crack it open put the heat sinks on the chips and then put it back together and see if it still overheats you know but uh i couldn't even get the main board out it was uh, such a bad design in terms of how they put this thing together um yeah i uh you know obviously i've had my ti completely apart the the whole shell gutted so it's a very weird machine inside i'm not uh, I didn't have experienced the issues that you had, but the thing is, is usually on an old system, you unscrew the screws on the bottom and then the top comes off. So the top of the top plastic shell comes off and then you're looking at the bottom shell with the motherboard and the RF shielding screwed on. And then you undo some screws yeah, and you, you take you off see the, the, the RF the, shielding and then it's all right there yeah, for see, you. The, 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 the top <laughs> didn't come off for me. The top didn't come no. off. The top doesn't come off. The bottom comes off. So then you're looking at... Oh, oh, yeah. It's just so strange. Which it seems like, well, that seems normal. But then the RF shielding is like on the bottom of the motherboard that's in the top of the shell. And then the way the shielding is, (laughs) the keyboard, and then the power supply, they're almost kind of overlapping and intertwined. So it's not like you unscrew two screws and then the power supply comes off. Because the power supply and the keyboard all have cables that run to the top of the motherboard, which you can't see because you're looking at the bottom of the motherboard that has like, you know, a puzzle piece of three different parts and the RF shielding on it. And it's not just one RF shield. It's like two pieces. It's all just very strangely put together. I had a a hell of a time getting, you know, doing my uh, AV mod on it because it was just so it's put together so strangely. And you managed to actually put it back together. <laughs> yep, I got it back together. I, I can um, imagine yeah. that would be a project in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> that would just be... Uh... Well, the thing is, you know, when you fail so many times, because like, I had to then take it apart. So first I had to take it apart and then realize it was so 
odd. And then I had to figure out, okay, on the case, where can I put the RF, uh, the RCA jacks and then feed wires to the bottom of the motherboard, which would then, you know, uh, it was a nightmare. And then after I got it all working, I realized I'm going to have to take this all part again after I have everything soldered together to try and get the keyboard out, to take the keyboard apart, to try and get it so I can actually push, you know, the key buttons on that thing it was yeah it was a nightmare I, I hope i don't ever have to take it apart again yeah i hope i don't experience heating overheating issues anytime soon <laughs> but it's a really weird system I, i'm not sure if anybody cares but the normal when you take apart an old system it's usually very simple and the the ti-99 is just is put together very bizarrely unlike anything else i've ever taken apart yeah so, Austin, I've been low on cash, and uh, I think last month you know, I kind of put together uh, ev- everything that I had spent money on, and I had spent like $170 on retro games, and I'm like, this is crazy. I, I cannot afford that. So the last time I went out uh, to look for some games, I-, I set an artificial limit for myself of $10. I will not spend more than $10, and I ended up getting two games for $3, the first one being F-Zero X on the N64. It's a good buy, yeah. Which, uh, I don't know what that game goes for, but $3 seemed to be pretty yeah, cheap. Yeah, at a regular retail store, you're probably looking at like 8 to 10 bucks. So, yeah, yeah that's good. It, so I'm excited yeah. to get that. I think you've talked about it before. Oh, I love that um, game. We've that's, talked that's, about that's, our futuristic racing game. Hands games. down, that's probably my favorite N64 game. But uh, you might not like it. Um, we'll see. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are after you play it and uh, practice it a little bit. <laughs> Do time <laughs> trial mode or something like that. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think I'll like it more than the Super Nintendo version for sure. So yeah. I've watched a lot of reviews on online as well. So uh, I don't think I'll like it as much as Wipeout 64, but I'm looking forward to playing yeah, it's, it when it, I finally get my 64 hooked up. It's a totally different feeling kind of game. It's, it's yeah, Wipeout feels totally different from F-Zero. So uh, I definitely like F-Zero more than Wipeout, but Wipeout is still incredible as well on 64. So... And then uh, I picked up Kicks Neo on the PlayStation. Yeah, you so you posted a picture of that online. Which uh, I I've heard of Kicks. I think Nice and Games has done a couple reviews on the game. It's spelled uh, Q I X, and uh, I believe there it was originally in the arcades in the eighties. And you kind of have like a single screen, and you have like a little ship that can when you leave the play field to go into the middle of the play field, you like draw a line behind you and you make boxes on the play field. And once you clear out like 80% of the screen or 75% of the screen, depending on the version, you, you kind of beat the level, but there's a lot of things in your way, you know, to stop you from simply drawing boxes on the screen and, and, and closing off the level. Um, but I always thought it looked interesting, like something I'd want to play. And uh, yeah, it's I'd- a fun game. It's interesting. Um, the uh, Quix- Kicks Neo, I'm sorry, is actually Volfied, which was yep. like a sort of you know a later rendition of Kicks I in think the arcade. It was a '89, yeah, yeah, sequel released in 1989 yeah. in the arcade. So whereas Kicks was a very early '80s game and had plain, just line graphics with you know solid colors and abstract. Uh, basically lions. Enemies. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Kicks Neo used more of that late 80s style, you know, pixel art. And, uh, you had some interesting backdrops. And I think you actually had like alien enemies and things like that. And mm-hmm. dragons and things that, other things that would bounce around the play field that made it, uh, interesting. So, fun game though. 
I, how so much, yeah, the place you, you got that for three bucks. Three yeah, bucks. See, that's a great deal. I mean, that's uh, it's not a rare game. That was one of those late release PS One games as a budget yeah. title. But I was really surprised when it came out. I was just like, wow, I'm surprised they brought this over here so late. I mean, there was probably like a. O two ninety three ninety four somewhere or well, 0- I mean the, 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 yeah o three or o four and it was like a ten dollar game when it came out and um, you know I wish more systems did that uh, like the PlayStation was pretty cool for budget gaming we got games like uh, Soul Divide uh, we've got uh, you know a kind of a crappy version of the first Gunbird we got Kicks Neo uh, we got Shinryu which over here was known as um, duh. What was what was the name of it? It was a budget shoot 'em up when it was released over here. Um, so we got some pretty cool little uh, budget games at the end of the PS1's life, but we never really saw that with other systems afterwards. You know, like we didn't get any budget PS2 shooters like at the end of its life, even though there's probably a ton <laughs> to bring over here. I mean, isn't that when the uh, the best Dreamcast shooters came out were budget titles after it was pretty much dead? Uh, close to it being dead. Uh, like Capcom released. Uh, most of theirs, Gunbird, not not Gunbird Two, uh, that was earlier on. Uh, Giga Wing Two, Mars Matrix, Mars Matrix. Uh, yeah, uh, Conspiracy Entertainment brought over Bangayo. The Dreamcast still had six months under its belt before, uh, you know, after those came out. So, but yeah, Kicks Neo, really hard game. Uh, I'm not even close to. Thankfully, it has unlimited continues. It's ridiculously challenging. There's the original mode, which is uh, basically, from my understanding, uh, is just the arcade version of the game, which I uh, really enjoyed. I posted a picture on the Facebook page. Um, the level came up, and it was it's like a plant that grew brains. I don't know. It was really interesting. I thought it was it was awesome. Then there's an arrange mode, uh, which kind of updates the graphics, um, you know, taking more advantage of what the 1994 PlayStation hardware had to offer versus the 80s arcade hardware. But uh, really good game, especially for $3. And um, that's actually been stealing all of my gameplay time these last few weeks. Yeah. It's so addictive. It, it's, you know, very easy to play, but it's impossible you know, in every level, the enemy patterns are, are so different, you know, to try and there's so much moving around on the screen. And if they touch the line you're drawing, you're dead. Um, so it's just a lot of fun, a lot of variety, very simple to play. And, uh, you know, even when you die, it's not overly frustrating. You just do it again. Yeah. Um, and you kind of need different strategies. You know, sometimes you start drawing your boxes at the bottom of the screen, the top of the screen. Yeah. Just really, really good game. So if you ever see that out there for $3, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Really solid. Yeah. And then uh, I've been replaying, I'm sure I talk about this twice a year, Revolt on the Dreamcast. I kind of want to kind of want to do a big review austin a, a big video you know on a game that's you know not just a 8-bit or 16-bit simple game you know where i can beat it in 45 minutes and it's relatively easy to put together so i'm trying to map out revolt uh what tr- you know what cars i'm using to beat each of the different championships and what has to be done to beat that card or unlock that car so i can kind of put together a plan where i can just sit down for two hours and and make it through the game efficiently you know and then put together a video on it yeah that's a very hard game to revolt it's actually made by acclaim developed by one of their studios i want to say in london yeah i can't really remember it was, uh, it was a pretty good game and uh wasn't there like a pseudo sequel on the ps2 
Not super familiar, if I'm it honest. It was like... Uh, I didn't have a PlayStation It was two, also so published by Acclaim, so I was assumed it was, uh, you know, made by the same people. But uh, it's like some, like, RC game. Um, I don't know. I'm going to look it up on Wikipedia. Ooh. It's one of those games where if you had a Dreamcast in 99 and 2000, you know, you some games like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater were better on the Dreamcast, but it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it was higher resolution, better textures, but it was effectively the same game. And then there were some games um, like Revolt, like uh, Hydro Thunder, um, Test Drive Le Mans, which they were practically completely different games on the Dreamcast. Like, the Dreamcast was just like the PC game, where the PlayStation and N64, you know, were really dumbed down. And it felt like when you had a Dreamcast, you were getting the best version of the game yeah. available. Uh-huh, absolutely. Uh, it looks like... RC, RC Revenge. Yeah, RC Revenge for PlayStation, then RC Revenge Pro. Uh, Wikipedia, whoever wrote it, uh, calls them spinoffs, so they're probably not... Like exact sequels, but there looks like uh, spiritual successors. Uh, RC Revenge Pro. Yeah, on the PS2. That was the one I was thinking of. Okay, so. interesting. I wonder. Yeah, it's still yeah. made by Acclaim. Um, yeah, developed by Acclaim. That's very possible. Good catch. I would have never known. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it got terrible reviews. It was also a very early PS2 game. A lot of those early PS2 games got horrible reviews. Like Eternal Ring and uh, yeah, it looks like Revolt was never released on the uh, Xbox or PlayStation Two either. That's very no. interesting. They used uh, Revolts. Uh, I remember this now. Uh, I'm glad we looked at this because I totally forgot about this. Um, they had a stripped down version of Revolt uh, for beta testers of the original Xbox Live service, uh, but it looks like they never released a full version on Xbox Live, even though they probably should have. So. Interesting. Yeah, it looks like the Xbox version was done. and You know, it's funny, back in the Xbox days, I forget the game. There was a racing game back when like a, a street racing games were all the rage. And uh, I remember downloading it you know, and putting it on my modified Xbox. And then I think it was like two years later, the game was finally released by a different company. And like, wow, I've already played through this game. Yeah. I would love to track that down, the Xbox version of Revolt. I'm sure it can't be difficult. I still have a yeah. couple modded Xboxes lying around. Yeah, me too. My only thing is I don't have a way to get the data to my Xbox now because I don't use a... Uh, you need a wired uh, network card because uh, you, you plug the computer straight into your Xbox. But Yeah, I've got a crossover cable, and uh, my Mac is old enough where it has an Ethernet port, yeah. so I think I'm in good shape. I even have... It would be um, awesome if there was just a way to, uh, to wirelessly, you know transfer stuff to your xbox that would be so awesome i would actually build up i would continue beefing up my emulation collection but uh it's just i it's too much work for me now i don't want to buy mm -hmm. a nick card just to transfer stuff to my xbox i'll just i'll buy an ouya or something <laughs> so your computer doesn't have an ethernet port uh i think the the, the actual ethernet port on my motherboard i don't think it works uh so, right, yeah right. interesting so i'm using uh, a wired <laughs> Yeah, this is actually an old motherboard. Um, I remember I actually had this same motherboard when I was at uh, uh, living in uh, a friend's basement about four years ago. And uh, something happened, the power went out, and then after that, my uh, Ethernet port wouldn't work anymore. So, and then I got a wireless adapter, and I've just been using that ever since. So, yeah, it looks like there's some videos. Uh 
Looks like there's some videos on YouTube, so it actually looks like it's quite similar to the Dreamcast version. Yeah. Looks like it's a little glitchy. Probably won't watch it now, or uh, that will absolutely tank this episode as I'm distracted. I'm going to watch it now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Austin, do you have any, uh, anything on your bucket list there that you'd like to talk about? No, not really. I've just, um, yeah, no, not really. I'm just, uh, been kind of winging it these last uh, couple of weeks. I haven't been playing as much, still playing Mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, like I've been sort of bouncing through Genesis games on my flash cart and, and master system games on my flash cart. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to, uh, get an RGB cable for my master system. Uh, there's some games I'd like to revisit, you know, going through the XRGB, especially R type. And, uh, I have the, you know, I have a th- complete, complete 32X, which includes that adapter for the, uh, the original Genesis, um, to the, uh, style two Genesis, uh, AV cable i'm not sure what i'm trying to say a very expensive (laughs) adapter that costs a lot of money on ebay yeah so uh the genesis one and the master system used the same av pinout the same av style um but that adapter didn't really seem to work so um i'm not really sure what i'm gonna do kind of tempted to buy a high definition uh model one genesis and then getting the uh the official master system adapter um and playing that way and see how that works yeah what is it called the master system converter i don't know power base converter the power base converter and uh i would love to do some uh some videos on master system games because they kind of fit my requisite of you know games that i can beat in an hour and and make a compelling video yeah but yeah i plan on doing uh, dr mario on the game boy next austin and that'll probably be done before we record our next video and then uh, Sonic Blast, which I think we talked about uh, last time as well. But uh, Karen's actually going back to school, and uh, she's got night classes. So that kind of, I don't know. When she used to work at night, um, I did a lot more YouTube stuff. But then, you know, when she's not, I kind of, I don't know. She's more my priority, or my time is spent in a different way. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of... Yeah, during these next four months, uh, I'll probably have a lot more regular content uh, than I have, uh, say, over the past year or so. Yeah. That should be interesting. We'll see how the community or my small YouTube base uh, grows or responds. Yeah. Anywho, Austin, that was really all I had to say. <laughs> That's my list. Well, I've actually I I been, uh, I've been a little unmotivated these last couple of weeks for videos. I mean, I, I put stuff up, but I, I, like this week especially, I just have not been focusing on YouTube at all. Uh, I am going to have a Let's Play, uh, tomorrow, which is going to be the first episode of Doom on the PC, which I actually tried about a month ago and it failed because of corrupt footage. Uh, but, uh, that was just kind of, uh, you know, unexpected, just unplanned. I just wanted to play Doom, and so I did. Um, <laughs> but I was actually just not even going to put up a video this week. But uh, I went ahead and did it anyway last night. So uh, that'll be uploaded tomorrow, or it will already have been uploaded for everyone else that's listening to this podcast. So uh, I run through uh, episode one of Doom on the PC on Ultra Violence, and uh, I do plan on uh, visiting all the other episodes in the game. So. Uh, you know, you can watch out for that as well in the future. Uh, you did the complete playthrough of Doom on the 32X, correct? Yes, sir. I think that was actually my second long play video. Yeah. 
I think I've watched that twice, and now that you're talking about Doom, it kind of <laughs> makes me want to revisit that video or revisit that game. Oh, oh man. What did you think of well, that you, version? I enjoy the 32X version of Doom a lot. Uh, I know it's not the complete Doom experience. I know it's missing... Oh, I forget how Doom works, but I think it has... Uh, what is it? Episode... Miss, I don't remember. Well, I don't remember Doom, Doom on 32X only has 16 levels, 15 which you can go to any time, 16, uh, the 16th you can only get to by completing all the levels straight through. Um, actually, you might have 17 levels now that I think about it, because it's got the, it has it, the it, hidden level. Yeah, it's got the hidden level in episode one, and then it's got the 16th level that you get to by completing the game straight through episode, I'm sorry, level one through 15. Um, I've made it to the very end, um, Austin, but I I couldn't, you know, once you die, you lose everything. So when I got to the last level, I had no way to beat it. But that's, that's the problem. And actually that was the problem I was having in the Jaguar version, um, is I was trying to do a long play of the Jaguar version on nightmare, the hardest setting. And, um, it just was not happening. What would happen is I would get to level 16 or so the actual, What's funny is the level I would die at in the Jaguar version is the same level that the 32X version ends on. So I would get to about level 16, played for an hour and a half to get there, and die and just not be able to recoup. Because what happens is you start out, you have your pistol, 10 bullets, and there's two pinky demons sitting right on the other side of the first door you open. And on Nightmare Mode, they run so fast. They actually run faster in the Jag version than they do in other versions on the hardest mode. And it's just, there's pretty much no possible way to get past it. Um, even if you bolt past the pinky demons, there's a bunch of soldiers around the other corner, you know, shooting at you. And then you've got a cacodemon, demon, the big red floating guys right around the other yeah. corner. It's just like, there's no way to do it if you die. And so, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, 32x version i don't i don't even know if i played it on the hardest mode in that one i think i i think i played it on uh ultra violence the second hardest because i think i actually tried doing the 32x one on nightmare and i think i talk about this in that long play and what would happen is i'd get to like level two or three and die mm-hmm. <laughs> just be like yeah this I think is there no is fun. another video from like a, a hardcore doom fan that hates the 32x version um, and I believe he used emulation, so the video is really, really good quality. Um, and he plays through the entire thing on the hardest difficulty, and kind of talks about you know what he doesn't like about the Doom version and all of that. I know we touch on this probably once a year, but yeah, uh, you know the cartridge versions of Doom, the Super Nintendo Jag and 32X, you know, aren't the uh, quote best versions no, of Doom that you can not. play, but they're very, very good, and they they kind of offer you know a different experience. And, yeah, uh, you know, and for me, you not know being a hardcore now Doom that fan. you mention it, I kind of want to go back and revisit the 32x version just to see if I can do it on Nightmare now. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been uh, probably about two and a half years since I did that long play. So, um, yeah, I kind of want to try that out now. So maybe I'll bust yeah. the 32x back out. <laughs> I unfortunately can't. I need to. I need to bust open my CDX and figure out <clears throat> what's broke, causing it to reset. Yeah. Which is very sad because it's not the cheapest system to buy. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, love the love the cartridge versions of Doom. And uh, if you're if you like playing classic games, you'll love them. They're they're great classic well, games. The only, the only thing is, there's a couple of versions that I think that are legitimately just 
they just don't hold up uh, well at all. Oh, the and 3DO is the three, terrible. The 3DO version is awful. It's, <laughs> it's garbage. It's garbage. Uh, the Super Nintendo one as well, it's really impressive what they did with it, but it's also sluggish controls and a very slow frame rate make for kind of not a great experience. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe if you're nostalgic about it, that's one thing, but there's better versions to be played. Well, uh, more more yeah. tolerable versions to be played. The 32X one, I think it's ragged on unfairly. It's yeah. it's a very smooth playing game. It's you not, don't notice that it's windowed. You yeah. don't notice that the music quality isn't up to par. It, and you know what's the funny? The controls are just so good. What's funny about the music part is that it's the 32X sound isn't that far off from the original ad-lib music. So it's like... Yeah. You know, maybe if you're using like a Sound Blaster all 32 back in the day, you'd notice a difference. But yeah, uh, it's it's really not too far off from the original AdLib soundtrack. So it's like I don't if people that complain about that. I I just think I don't think they had perspective or remember that or weren't around when that happened. Uh, yeah, when I first played it, Austin, I had no idea the music was you know supposedly bad. It, it, I thought it was just fine. Yeah. Sounds a lot better than, uh, you know, a lot of Genesis games I've played, that's for sure. Yeah, which is actually kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the Jaguar version's unfortunate because uh, no the loading, music, yeah. I think the loading in between, they it has actually music, yeah. did the music. And, and they sound pretty great. good, yeah. So. But then when you play the game, it's gone. So yeah. the music's on the cart. John Carmack just couldn't figure out, you know, how to make the Jag do it all yeah, at once. And, and you know, time he, he, he probably could have eventually, but yeah, time constraints is probably what uh, hurt that version. But that's still a great version as well. It's full screen and it's, uh, you know, uh, higher resolution graphics than the 32X one. It looks better. Uh, I think it uses the Jag's like cry color palette system or whatever so it's got this really nice shading that you don't see in other versions not even the playstation or saturn ones Mm -hmm. Uh, so everything has like these rounded darkened edges to it uh to them and it's it's nice uh very good stuff in the jag version um but like you said uh no version no console version especially the cartridge ones are the definitive versions of doom i mean if you're gonna play doom I mean, the best one to play, obviously, is the original PC version. And the original PC version is made even better when you use the source ports, like uh, GZ Doom or Z Doom, or if you mm-hmm. even want to go back farther, like Doom Legacy or something like that. You know, it updates, uh, raises the resolution, adds graphic smoothing, different graphic filters, uh, bloom effects on lights, things like that. Uh, mouse looking, jumping if you even want to. There's lots of really cool stuff you can do with it. And, uh, you know, ah, Doom is such a great game. One of my favorite yep. games of all time. Easy, hands down. <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll probably I be agree. able to, to, to tell that if you watch my, my Let's Play on it because I just, I talk so naturally about Doom. And it's just because that I played it so much over the years. It's, yeah. it's a favorite. So, you know, I'm like, Here's where this enemy's gonna be. Here's where this piece of ammo is gonna be. Here's the secret. Here's <laughs> just yeah, like, you, you know, like the back of your hand. Just all notch a lot about it. Yeah. So, well, we're pretty much uh, getting to that point, Chris. Or have we actually already surpassed that point we normally end at? <laughs> no, we're doing good. We're doing uh, good. I'll throw a link in the show notes. Actually. Um a few years ago, I did a write-up on the website, which you'll never find, so we'll put a link to it, um, of the, uh, my write-up of the 32X versus Jaguar nice. uh, in regards to Doom. And then that, Austin. <laughs> that was uh, that was actually a really nice write-up. I remember that. Thank you. 
so yeah uh, I love both systems and uh, I like Doom so I didn't have any biases or anything you know to me they're both totally playable so I think I come at that uh, with a different perspective and uh, if you're listening and I, th- I think you'll enjoy the article yeah no absolutely that was definitely a good article that was actually one of the first articles I read on your website and that was a very nice thorough side by side and um I think you even ran both through emulation to get your screenshots, so you have a very good, crisp idea of what the visuals look like side by side. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's really good stuff. So Now, Austin, with the XRGB Mini, and I've got the, uh, I can play the 32X via RGB and the JAG versus S-Video, could do a proper video comparison. Well, if you I was, should uh, just get in a Jaguar <laughs> RGB cable. And then from there, I'd have to get an adapter to convert it to the Japanese SCART spec. And yeah, I don't even know what a JAG RGB cable goes for. It'd be worth It's got to be expensive. Well, no, people <laughs> people uh, make their own RGB cables. Yeah. And they're not too expensive. Yeah, I'll have to look into it. <laughs> JAG puts out a clean signal, though. Like my Zool 2 video, there wasn't really any bleeding or any other issues. Yeah, it's a pretty clean signal. And on that note. And on that note. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap things up here. So, uh, yeah. You can end it, Chris. I'm terrible at ending things. Be sure to check out uh, the Implant Games website, implantgames.com. If you like what you hear, if you have any feedback, uh, please leave a comment on this post. Otherwise, uh, facebook.com slash implantgames. Or if you do the Twitter thing, uh, twitter.com slash implant. You can find Austin on Facebook at facebook.com slash gameplay, the ampersand thing. Talk, gameplay, and talk. Nope, just gameplay um, and spell A-N-D, talk. What? Are yep. you sure? What am I getting? Yes. <laughs> I'm getting confused with YouTube. <laughs> well, I don't think an ampersand would have worked, so I, I just use, uh, yeah. So, facebook.com slash gameplay and talk. Austin posts a lot of great content on there as well. So, be sure to check that out, and uh, we'll see you all again in two weeks. See you guys in two weeks. Take care, everybody. Bipolar Disorder